Today's sermon is rated R, R21. Now, don't panic here. It's not because we are going to see any explicit images. However, the topic is R-rated because it deals with sexual sins. What is really necessary, especially if you are watching together with your children and youth, is PG. Parental guidance is absolutely necessary in today's sermon. So let's look at today's scripture text. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 12 to 20. Now before I read the scripture text, just to let you know the context, Paul will quote some of the sayings of the Corinthians and then rebut it so that you understand that there's a dialogue happening within the scripture passage itself. And so here's God's word, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I have the right to do anything. That's what you say, Corinthians. But I, Paul, say not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything. But I will not be mastered by anything. You say, food for the stomach and stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. The body, however, Paul is saying, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. By His power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and He will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ Himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in her body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Verse 18, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honour God with your bodies. Now, as parents, we can't shy away from difficult topics such as this, topics of sex and sexual sins. We can't avoid it just because it's awkward. You see, if we don't teach our own children... They will learn it from somewhere else. And we all know how dangerous the world outside is, especially the world of the internet nowadays. In fact, even Christian peer influence may not be ideal too. Growing up, my so-called Christian friends were the very ones who led me astray and brought me into pornography. And so very early on, as a parent, I've already taught my own children about sex and procreation. Apologies to those who have heard this uh, humorous story before. But one day, when my son was about three, four years old, he asked me, Papa, where do I come from? Now, since my own parents told me that I was picked up from the rubbish bin and it did a lot of harm to my own self-esteem, I decided to tell the truth to my son this time around. So when he asked this question, I took the opportunity to explain and teach him all the scientific biological explanations, including naming the parts of the body, how the reproductive organs work, how the sperm fertilizes the egg, so and so forth. So I wanted to affirm to him that he is indeed our son. He's not picked up from the rubbish bin. I wanted to explain to him the whole sexual reproduction process and so and so forth. But then his reply stunned me. He said, Papa, I just want to know if I'm a Singaporean. <laughs> but seriously, even now and then, I make it a point to remind my children that their bodies are precious 
And the act of sexual intercourse is to be preserved within the covenant of marriage. I also prepare them in advance, you know, that when they see pictures of naked men and women pop up onto their screen, I ask them, what do you do? What will you do if you see these images suddenly pop up? And now their standard reply is, of course, we won't see it. We will turn away, we will switch off the device, so and so forth. So you see, I don't shy away from such difficult and awkward topics, even with my own children. And so today, as your pastor, we need to address and have this difficult conversation. If God's word contains it, surely we must address it. But first of all, a brief recap of our First Corinthians uh, pulpit series thus far. Two weeks ago, Pastor Emmanuel preached on First Corinthians 5, where Paul was angry with the Corinthians for celebrating and boasting about a case of incest within the church, an act which even pagans do not tolerate, a man sleeping with his father's wife. Now, if there's a scale for sexual immorality, incest probably will be way over the scale. It's way beyond 10 upon 10, even by today's largely liberal standards. And then last week, our local preacher, Justin, he preached from 1 Corinthians 6, verses 1 to 11, and he showed us the depth of the Corinthian sin. The Corinthians had completely underestimated the power and depth of sin in their own lives. Now, in that text, we also learned an important truth. Our actions really do matter. If our lives have absolutely no change after we have become Christians, it raises a serious question. Are we then truly Christians? If we continue in sexual sins, the question is, can we truly consider ourselves as born-again Christians? So today's sermon threads these two earlier sermons together, and hopefully we have a better understanding of why the Corinthians did what they did and why Paul had to respond to them in his own way. And so before we do that, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we want to commit today's sermon into your hands. We want to pray for all of us, myself included, that as we listen to your word afresh, your Holy Spirit will convict us of truth and righteousness. Importantly, we pray, Holy Spirit, you help us to live out this truth so that our lives may be pure and faultless before you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, in today's sermon, we will see the many reasons why we Christians must flee from sexual immorality. But before we go into these reasons, we need to revisit the main reason why the Corinthians were actually proud of sexual immorality and even endorsed incest. What's wrong with sexual immorality, they ask. Adapting the five wise framework that Justin mentioned last week, why were the Corinthians proud of incest? Well, it's because they believe they have the right to do anything. Verses 12, right? And uh, earlier on, verse 12, and uh, two times is repeated, I have the right to do anything. In last week's sermon, we had also seen the Corinthians insisting on their rights, so much so that they were willing you know, to take each other to court, washing their dirty laundry in public. So the next question is why? Why did they think so highly of their rights? Well, it's because they think that they are free. In the Greco-Roman world, only free people had rights. Slaves didn't have any rights. And since Paul had taught them about freedom in Christ, they wrongly associated spiritual freedom with all kinds of freedom. That's why they even visit prostitutes. Look at verses 15 to 16. 
So third, why? Why did they think that they had complete freedom to do anything? It's because of where they were located. Being a thoroughly Greek city, the Corinthian view of spirituality looked for a spiritual salvation that was apart from this physical body. Behind this form of spirituality is a dualistic worldview, which placed little or no value on material, on physical things, including the physical body. In this worldview, anything that is physical and material is passing. In fact, it's even evil. What really counts is what's unseen and what's spiritual. Now, I'm going to stop asking the five whys here because, you know, you can go into why do they think this way, you go into Greek philosophy and so forth, which is way beyond the sermon scope. But going by this faulty understanding, the Corinthians believe that this external body is merely a shell. So what you do with this shell really doesn't matter. They wrongly thought to themselves, sex is purely a physical act, just as eating is purely a physical act. It will not affect my spirit at all. But not only so, the Corinthians actually did something worse. They even justified their sinful, licentious behavior with spiritual reasons. To engage in sin is already bad enough, but to justify it with spiritual reasons, that makes it doubly worse. Now, the hard truth of our Ravi Zacharias, one of the greatest apologies of our time, is out. The full investigation report is out. You can read it on the internet. He has been found guilty of severe sexual misconduct, spanning at least a decade. What saddened me when I read the full report was how he would justify his misdeeds with a spiritual reason. He would tell the ladies he abused, I'm such a prominent servant of the Lord. Make sure you tell no one of this matter. Can you imagine what kind of damage you will do to the Lord's ministry? God's ministry, if people found out about this. Sin is bad enough, but to justify with spiritual reasons is abhorrent. The Corinthians had this similar erroneous attitude. They justified their immoral behavior using spiritual reasons. They probably thought to themselves, Oh, we believe in Jesus. We are free. We have the most prominent spiritual leaders as our mentors. We have Paul, we have Apollos, we have Peter. And then we have this spiritual knowledge that Jesus is our Lord and Savior. And then we have all these spiritual gifts. There is no one more blessed and gifted than us. And because they thought this way, they were full of spiritual pride. And so since we are so spiritual, the Corinthians thought to themselves, let us demonstrate true spiritual freedom by doing whatever we want with our physical bodies. Since this body is evil, doesn't really matter anyway. Therefore, we can have sex with whoever we want, including our father's wife. What truly matters, the Corinthians thought to themselves, is not what we do, but what we believe. So family, that really explains the problem of the Corinthians. <clears throat> now you understand a bit better why they behave the way they did, visiting prostitutes and even endorsing incestuous relationship. Their basic argument is very simple. Going to prostitutes is permissible, because the body doesn't matter. The Corinthian understanding of spirituality had provided them a false view of freedom. I can do anything. Or in some Bible translation, everything is permissible. Or, and they also have a false view of the body, that God will just simply destroy it. So basically, the Corinthians had equated sexual appetite with physical appetite. 
if food is for the stomach and stomach is for the food, so too sex is for the body and body is for sex. And if both food and stomachs are going to be destroyed, this, man, this body which is meant for sex is to be destroyed anyway, then there really is nothing wrong you know, with all this sexual immorality. By the way, the Greek word for sexual immorality is porneia, from which we get the word porn. But Paul now intentionally uses the argument against them. First, unlike the stomach, which is destined for destruction, the body is destined for resurrection. So this is reason number one why Paul writes to say that something wrong with their thinking, with sexual immorality. So while the stomach is irrelevant for future existence, the body is not. And the reason is very simple, because Christ was resurrected. Because Christ has been resurrected, our bodies will also be resurrected, verses 13 to 14. Our Christian creed affirms, I believe in the resurrection of the body. So while religious and food laws have been abolished, the moral ethical laws still apply. 1 Corinthians 8, Paul will address food laws, so I won't address it here. But here, Paul emphasized that the body is destined for resurrection. It is not destined for destruction, as the Corinthians wrongly believe. So he undercuts, he attacks at the very you know, root of the Corinthian spiritual problem. They are understanding that the body is evil. Instead, Paul says, look, if the body is truly evil, there will not be a resurrection of the dead or the resurrection of the body. But because Christ was raised in a physical and spiritual body, this body of ours matters. So that's reason number one, Paul says, you need to avoid sexual immorality because this body is not destined for destruction, it is destined for resurrection. Second, unlike food, which is for the stomach, Paul says the body is for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And here Paul refers to Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, to explain how two become one through sexual union. And so when the Corinthians engage in sexual intercourse with prostitutes, they are really uniting Christ with the prostitute because we are now united with Christ in spirit. To drive home his point, Paul makes several assertions on what's wrong with sexual immorality. Verse 19, he says, This body of ours is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Second, he says, This body of ours is no longer ours. We have no right to do with it whatever we want because it belongs to the Lord. Third, in verse 20, he says, This body is purchased at a price. Christ paid for this body with his very life. And therefore, the body is for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And that's why he concludes, Therefore, honour God with your bodies. So from Paul's point of view, our bodies are no longer just vessels of our own spirits but we are now temples, vessels of the Holy Spirit. And so when we commit sexual immorality, we are effectively desecrating Christ's Spirit, God's Spirit living in us. Sexual immorality for the Christian, get this, is actually spiritual adultery. Sexual immorality for us who are Christians is actually spiritual adultery. That's how serious it is. 
Now, to be clear, it is not sex which Paul condemns here. Sex within a Christian marriage is to be celebrated because both husbands and wives are in the Lord and it obeys the biblical command to be fruitful and to multiply. So there is nothing unholy there. Paul will elaborate on this topic in chapter 7. Some would carry Paul's instruction to honour uh, God with our bodies to his wrong logical conclusion. Now, if that is truly the case, Paul, let's not have any sexual relationships, even within marriage. Some would even argue further that Christians should therefore initiate divorce with an unbelieving spouse. Uh, if two become one and then the other one is not a believer, is that also spiritual adultery? So in chapter 7, Paul will talk about all this, but I want to state right here that that is not what Paul is teaching at all. If you read in advance, you will see very clearly that Paul is not teaching that the very act of sexual intercourse is wrong. In fact, in chapter 7, verse 5, Paul writes, Do not deprive each other, referring to the husband and wife, do not deprive each other except by mutual consent and for a time, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come back together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So to be very clear, it is not sex within the marriage that is wrong. It is sex outside of the marriage that constitutes sexual immorality. So to summarize what we have covered so far, contrary to what the Corinthians thought, that their physical actions have no bearings whatsoever, Paul is teaching precisely the opposite, that there are in fact huge negative implications when we engage in sex outside of the covenant of marriage. And here he tells the Corinthians of three such consequences. Verse 15, he says, Effectively, we are joining Christ with a prostitute, spiritual adultery. Second, we are enslaving our body to other people, to others' mastery. That's verse 16. And then verse 18, he says, we are sinning against our own bodies. Prominent biblical scholar Gordon Fee writes, Paul's ultimate concern is not with what affects and does not affect the body per se, but with the special character of sexual immorality and how that sin is directed especially against the body as for the Lord. In fornicating with a prostitute, a man removes his body, which is a temple of the Holy Spirit, purchased by Christ, destined for resurrection. He basically removes it from union with Christ and makes it a member of her body, thereby putting it under her slavery. Every other sin is apart from the body in this singular sense. Now, the best way to explain what Gordon is, Fee is writing and what Paul is saying is to use some analogies. We have all used scotch tape, adhesive tape before. We all know that adhesive tape or scotch tape is not meant for repeated use. The strongest bond that the tape can be, you know, to, is capable of making is with the very first surface it is applied to. You can remove the tape, of course, and reapply it to another surface. You can even do this several times and perhaps it will still adhere. However, with every application, some of this adhesiveness, this bonding ability will be compromised. Finally, if you continue this practice long enough, there will not be any adhesiveness left to make the, tick, the tape stick to any surface. You understand the analogy? God intended the bond 
to be made between husband and wife to be the strongest bond ever. But when this bond is repeatedly used in many ways, it loses its ability to bond. And that is why Paul makes it very clear that the body is not for fornication. To give you another analogy, illustration, why sexual immorality is so damaging. Having sex is like gluing two pieces of paper together. When the two have become one, it is no longer so easy to say, let's go our separate ways. You cannot say, oh, I'm just going to go my left way, he's going to go his right way, and we can just part like that. When two pieces of paper are stuck together, glued together with a deep bond, stapled together, in fact, for example, it's not so easy to pull them apart. That is why marriage involves a lot of compromise, especially when there are differing opinions. You've got to know, you know, got to work together to chart the common way forward. So engaging in premarital and extramarital sex is precisely problematic because of this reason. When two have become one, and you try to tear two pieces of paper that are glued together apart, what happens? You will inevitably tear yourself apart. And that is why you're sinning against your own body. When you tear it apart, you are sinning against your own body. So let's extend these principles even further. Suppose on one piece of paper, I write the word Christ. And on another piece of paper, I write the word prostitute. And now, first of all, should these two pieces of paper be stuck together in the first place through sexual union? No. But suppose you have done that. And what are you going to do when you tear them apart? Not only are you destroying yourself, you are crucifying Christ over and destroying Him over again. Now that's what's truly wrong with sexual immorality. The consequence is not just on us. It's also what we are doing to Christ. This is why Paul is so adamant. We as Christians must flee all forms of sexual immorality. Nowadays, you know, in schools, they teach the use of contraception as part of sexuality education. But did you know in the U.S., since the popular push for contraception for the teenagers began, teenage sexual activity and pregnancy have increased 400%. Instead of educating them, it actually gave them the wrong tools. And 70% of unwed teen mothers will eventually go on welfare. And of the teens who marry because of pregnancy, 60% will be divorced in five years. These are statistics from the U.S., but I suspect the situation in Singapore won't be very far different. And so I propose that the real solution is not contraception. The real solution has always been found in the Bible, and that is abstinence, purity. In fact, contraception actually encourages the young people to take greater risks because now they think, oh, I'm protected. They belittle the consequences. You see, sex is not merely a physical act. It is and has spiritual consequences. In our world today, people like to emphasize personal freedom. It's my life. Let me live it the way I want. I can do everything that I want. Let me tell all of us, actually, this is nothing new under the sun because the Corinthians too insisted on their freedom and even their rights. Their right to do anything but Paul argues that true biblical freedom, it is not benefiting yourself, but benefiting for the good of others. Our freedom is meant to set others free from the bondage of sin 
not for us to engage in deeper sin. In fact, in the earlier portion of chapter 6, Paul had already rebuked the Corinthians for going to court of each other and they asked, and he asked them, why not rather be wrong? Why not rather, rather be defrauded? So importantly, in the area of sexual impurity, I'm telling all of you as a pastor that there are serious spiritual consequences, even if you don't know the physical consequences straight away. So don't let the world we live in deceive us. Sex is not just a physical act. Now before I close, I want to extend today's lesson beyond the act of sexual intercourse outside of the covenant of marriage to the area of pornography. In case some of us think to ourselves, oh, I didn't get any myself into any sexual immorality. But I want to draw the lesson, extend it to the area of pornography as well. First of all, we should not assume that pornography is just a problem for the guys. Women can be caught up in it too. Statistics can prove that. The statistics here in Singapore. The problem with porn really is that it feeds the last of our flesh. Second, porn creates a false expectation of reality. The reality is that we will all grow old. We will go wrinkled. We will die. The bodies that we see in many of these pictures is a passing reality. You know, critics of Christianity, you know, often criticize us to say that we brainwash people. I'm telling all of us that porn is worse. It's corrupting our minds. At least, you know, brainwashing makes people clean, right? <laughs> makes our minds clean. But porn is like soaking our minds in mud. The worst problem, I think, is that porn objectifies people. Instead of seeing people as people made in the image of God, to be loved, to be cherished, to be honoured, we start to see people as objects. Psychologists tell us that watching porn is merely a symptom of the deeper issue of lacking control in reality. And so porn becomes a way of escape and for people to control so-called their reality when in the real world they have lost control of that outside reality. And so the root problem is not just dealing with the problem of porn. It is restoring control to the self and recognizing that actually at the end of the day, we don't have to control everything because God is sovereign and He loves us and He will take care of us. The problem with objectifying people is that we no longer treat them with God's love. And so we come back to the sermon title for today. What's wrong with sexual immorality? Everything. Everything. Again, in case some of us think that we are safe from the problem of sexual immorality, I really want all of us to take a serious look. Take a deeper look. The sermon title for last week was Sin, Deeper Than We Think. You see, porn has taken root in many Christians' lives because we have allowed something perhaps more insidious into all our lives. Kent Hughes, in his 1989 book, Liberating Ministry from the Success Syndrome, ask the following questions which have adapted to our modern world. First, are we being desensitized by the present evil world? Do the things that once shocked us now pass us by with little notice? Have our sexual ethics slackened? Two, what are we watching on TV? Netflix. How many hours do we spend watching TV? How many adulteries did we watch on the screen last week? extramarital affairs, how many murders, outbursts of anger, 
violent episodes. And how many hours did we watch them with our children? In contrast, how many chapters of the Bible did we read? Therefore, to deal with the problem of sexual immorality, we cannot just deal with it as an act. We must deal with it on a daily basis, beginning with what we watch, what we see. As much as these questions are worth examining, the solution is not having more willpower. The solution is once again returning to the truths of God's Word. Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. We need to come back to the truth of God that we have already been cleansed and stand firm in the identity and not do things that will hurt, damage our Lord. So again, the solution lies really in knowing what God has done for us, that we are deeply loved by God, that we need to be constantly filled by the Spirit of God. I remember for myself the deeper reason why I was caught in pornography. I grew up with poor self-esteem, a poor sense of self-worth. Porn was my escape room. It allowed me to control the reality when I lost control outside. But as I began to walk with God more and more, more and more, I began to be filled by the Spirit more and more. I began to understand and walk in God's love more and more. I feed myself the truths of God's Word more and more. The power of lust was eventually destroyed. It is not something that is done by real power. It is simply by walking with the Lord in the light of His Word, in His Spirit, every day, more and more. And today, because I know I'm deeply loved by God, because I know I love my wife, I love my Lord Jesus, I love my family, I don't want to destroy this family unit that God has blessed me with, and as the temple of God's Holy Spirit, I will stay far, far away from anything that will jeopardize my loving relationship with all these people whom I love, God, my wife, and my children. I pray for all of us that we will always remember we are bought with a price. That's how valuable you are. Christ died for you. That's how valuable you are. He paid the great price for redemption. Don't waste it in sin. Therefore, Paul says, let us honour God with our bodies. Now before we close, I just feel the Lord saying that we need to do some ministry time. It's hard to do ministry time uh, online, the recording per se. But nonetheless, we want to go through this, what the Lord may be impressing upon us. And if it speaks to you, do take time to pause the video, revise it again, and let the Lord minister to you in His own time. Now first of all, maybe some of us feel very filthy, very dirty, very guilty, very ashamed, ashamed of our past. Today I want to tell you that if you have repented, if you have turned away, from your past way of sin, the past life of sin, you are truly forgiven in Christ. You are washed, sanctified. So don't let the devil lay further guilt on you. Right? Don't let the devil lay further guilt on you. 
Remember Jesus' encounter with the woman who was caught in adultery? John chapter 8. Jesus asked the woman, Has anyone condemned you? And the answer is no, because all of us are equally guilty of sin. And Jesus therefore said, Neither neither do I then condemn you. But then Jesus adds an important statement. Go and sin no more. So while God has forgiven us, truly we must not let this guilt continue to lay a burden on us. Yet at the same time, God's word to all of us is this. We must go and sin no more. And so if anyone feels trapped in sin today, I want to pray for you to be filled by God's Spirit and be set free. And especially if you are in a close Christian fellowship, I want to encourage you to take one step further. If you are in a close Christian fellowship, either with your cell group or with other Christians from other churches, that's fine. I want to encourage you to share your struggle with them and pray for each other. Come, let us pray together. Father, I want to lift up to you all my brothers and sisters who struggle in the area of sexual sins. In Jesus' name, I declare that the power of sin is broken over their lives. Father, I pray for a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Renew their minds. Change the pathways in their minds. Renew their minds. Help them to think of whatever is noble, good, admirable. Wash our minds in the blood of Christ, in your purity. Fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit. Shine the light of holiness into all our lives. So Holy Spirit, do this work. Lord, we know this pleases you. For Lord, you look forward to the day when your bride, the church, will be pure, radiant, without blemish. And so we pray this in alignment to your will. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, if you'd like to talk to someone after the sermon, please feel free to contact us. We'll be glad to journey with you. God bless.